Welcome to Complaints on a Plate with me, Daniel Paul no, Taylor. No, Complaints on a Podcast. Oh, for God's sake. So, I wanted to talk about uh, what we're talking about today, The Guardian. Guardian newspaper, yes. a lot of people... Like, a lot of people have been asking us to talk about The Guardian. When I say that, maybe two people. But that's oh, no, quite I think a lot. I think it's our five because our audience is only about 10 people so it's yeah that's no, five it's half our audience yeah, like, yeah, yeah but before we do that I just want to say uh, this complaints on a podcast obviously who would ever mistake it for anything else and that it is available on all the podcasty places that you can get podcasts and it's also on YouTube which is the only place that people actually watch it and if you are watching on YouTube then please leave a like. It doesn't matter if you like the video or not. If you if you yeah. like the channel at all, just leave a like for the video straight away. So we've decided we'd do The Guardian and we want to look at different aspects of The Guardian. But one thing we want to do, because we're kind of obsessed with the Labour Party, is look at the changing attitudes of the Labour Party, the response to Corbyn, the response to Starmer. And there's just a wealth of, riches in the guardian as far as that's concerned of all these kind of um shit-lived careerist journalists who just trashed corbyn and tried to cover their tracks by creating reasons why rational reasons why they hated jeremy corbyn so we could have done jonathan friedland we could have done michael white we could have done john harris but we've ended up with polly timeby who perhaps encapsulates more than others the hand-wringing middle-class liberal we've got an article from 2016 and we got an article from 2022. And it's astonishing, I have to say, it's astonishing reading together as I did today, how anybody can survive with this much cognitive distance and they don't <laughs> explode and get consumed by it. So well done, Polly, not just for surviving, but for making a living out of that level of cognitive distance. Well, I think I think I have to say that is how you make a career in journalism. That is yeah. how you thrive. Yeah, um, when I tweeted this morning, Someone referred me to a quote from H.R. Mencken. So I'm just going to read that because it's pretty amazing. It's difficult to get a man or a woman to understand something when their salary depends on their not understanding it. And never argue with anyone whose job depends on not being convinced. So Polly Tornby in 2016, uh, during Labour's conference, or just after whenever, wrote this article uh, with the headline... Why can't I get behind Corbyn when we want the same things? Here's why. Uh, and then it begins, it begins really weirdly because it then doesn't mention anything about the headline at all. It just has this quite long sort of tirade against Jeremy Corbyn's office, which starts on his office balcony. Jeremy Corbyn has a small olive tree <laughs> and he once promised branches for his opponents. But the little tree need not fear being stripped bare. <laughs> not one branch has yet been proffered. The man of peace shows no magnanimity. No, magnanimity. 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 <laughs> In his Lovely great victory. Uh, instead, his gentler, kinder politics is bent on securing an absolute grip on the party, seizing all levers through control over the party's rulemaking body, the National Executive Committee, NEC. His calls for unity are only a call for capitulations and obedience. <laughs> it's like, I mean, and it's just, that's not really uh, based on any, there's no quotes of anything that Corbyn said. There's nothing about what Corbyn's actually done. Yeah, so it's all projection, right? So always these things are projection. So like, and we can see that in retrospect. We probably knew it at the time. We can certainly see it in retrospect. That of course, like what Keir Starmer offered was olive branches. That's what he promised. And of course, what he delivered was um, faction uh, warfare, like of which has not been seen in the Labour Party for some time, certainly for, for decades. Um, whereas Jeremy Corbyn was all about the olive branches. I mean, he was like, his first shadow cabinet was full of people who fucking hated him um, and hated his politics and hated the people who joined the party because of him. And they, um, and they walked out on him. Yes. Whereas Keir Starmer took some people like Rebecca Long-Bailey or whatever to begin with, but then found insane ways of kicking them out himself. Yes. Which is much more, you know, obviously aggressive and 
ununifying than what Corbyn did. Um, Corbyn brought people in and then obviously followed his politics, which was the mandate he'd been given, and they walked out on him. Yeah. Uh, which, of course, led to the second leadership election, which had just taken place, and, and uh, Corbyn obviously won massively, and so that, that's what Tornby goes on to talk about. It's also weird as well, because at that conference, like the, the left had been really focused that summer on keeping Jeremy Corbyn, and the right had kind of worked out that Owen Smith was going to, like, who remembers Owen Smith now, but he was going to, like, not get close. And, and so they focused on changing the rules at conference to fuck over the left. And they did. And she's not writing that. She's writing as if the left is dominant. But we lost that conference. Yeah, because I mean, the idea is that Corbyn's trying to seize control of the party. Yeah. Obviously, that implies that the party is not under his control. Yeah, and, and also that time that's a problem. Wasn't. Yeah, and the rule changes at that conference were won by the right. Yeah. This is absolutely delusional stuff by her. Given that she's writing about conference, she hasn't even looked at the order paper and what passed. Or she can't even see it because she's got such a in her I head. Mean, there's nothing about what about any motions that passed at all. That's not uh, anyway. So then she says, I, I underlined this bit because this is sort of like supposedly the balance. She's sort of been having a go at Corbyn. And she said, some behaved, so talking about the MPs, some behaved neither wisely nor well. Though Owen Smith, who faced the contemptuous daily catcalling with bravery and good humor, deserves more praise than he gets. So obviously, Owen Smith was ridiculed because a lot came out during his campaign, which, which was just, just very bad, even for the sort of centre-left politics that he was supposedly uh, yeah. pushing for, right? And that's just coming out from members, and then they didn't vote for him, uh, and that's, that's an election, right? But this, the defensiveness around the MPs, this is something that you see all the time from people like Tornby and The Guardian is this kind of like, think of these poor MPs that are always being um, like, what, catcalled. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, MP, you know, it's like MPs are going to get attacked, particularly when there is, you know, hypocritical as someone like Owen Smith is, right? And then, yeah. of course, there's the silence on the attack on, on members of the party under Corbyn and particularly now. And of course, on left wing MPs. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the moment, which are getting, you know, really, they're getting no support whatsoever from the leadership, nor, of course, from Guardian journalists. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The Guardian journalists hate um, the left. They particularly hate members uh, with MPs. They feel like these positions of power, they have some, when people have status, I think liberals like that, but they feel like this status has been conferred on the wrong people when it yeah. falls like Jeremy Corbyn. But I would like to like just record a few of the wonderful things Owen Smith did to provoke some of that catcalling. There was some serious stuff, right? Like being a health lobbyist um, in a former life. But his good humour included making a joke about the size of his penis on a Sunday afternoon in Hull. You know. that's, that's why when I think of catcalling, I think of people yeah, saying things like that. So he saw catcalls himself, right? Yeah. So. And his bravery was in a debate. He suggested that we have negotiations with ISIS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's brave. I, I give him that. And he, he was just, I remember the, the time when he was talking about his role in the peace process in Northern Ireland. Um, like he was like the person who created that. It, he did a lot of stuff, of stuff to provoke that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Provoke what? Provoke criticism, right? Yeah. Uh, from... Yeah, critique, and which is essentially an attack. If you critique an MPA publicly, it is a form of attack. It's not abusive, but it's it is an attack. You mean and like I'm... the way that Tornby is uh, cri criticizing Jeremy Corbyn in this article? Is that yeah. catcalling? I mean, you know, yeah. like I just feel that the hypocrisy of it is: if you've got a strong argument, just make your argument, right? And if you think that some of the criticisms against Owen Smith were wrong, argue against that. But instead, it's 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 the framing. It's the use of it's the use of language and the implication of those words, like catcalling. That's all they have. They don't yeah. actually have, uh, you know, a point to make about what the why the criticism of Owen Smith was unjust, for example. Yeah, and and the thing she says about Owen Smith is nicer than anything she says about Jeremy Corbyn in this article. I mean, she says Owen Smith is brave and has good humour and deserves more praise than he gets. She can't even say that about Jeremy Corbyn, who's clearly 
brave, who clearly maintained his good humour in the face of brutal attacks and clearly deserves way more praise than he gets from people like Polly and her, her colleagues on The Guardian. But she can't. Yeah. No, yeah. And, it's, it, and we're, we're going to find out why, right? Because that's what this article's all about. Why can't well, she? Look inside um, the head of Polly Timesley. So, yeah, I, don't, I want to move on from this. This goes on and on, this kind of talking about Corbyn and uh, sort of taking I over the party. I think the next bit is quite good, though, because it's like basically the both sides stuff. Oh, what, with um, Stella Creasy? Yes. But I just want to read like one sentence that begins this paragraph, because I think it's such a screwed up sentence. Corbyn could apply a little balm to the great gash in his party. And it, that was always, yeah. I mean, it was <laughs> the way that it was about... Oh, you know, if only the left had tried harder. This is what's come up in the Ford report. It's like, yeah, the whole of the right wing of the party was screwing over Corbyn, screwing over his office, screwing over the members. They were ringing a bell every single time they managed to suspend someone from the party and block them from voting. But, you know, if only they'd gone out for the, the left um, in, in the leader's office to invite them out for drinks and had tried some real deep, engaged listening, then it would have all been fine. It's the most delusional stuff that you can kind of deal with a, um, an entrenched factional fight, which is a reflection of the structure of capital and how it relates to the party of the centre-left in the UK. And then you can deal with it by just you know, going to the pub with people or applying a yeah, there's no There's no critique of why there would be any hostility between the two groups other than like they just haven't gone to the pub enough together and they could yeah. be friends, you know, if you gave it a chance. Um, yeah, and so the the opposite, you know, again, it's it's the it's the same sort of issue. All of the blame is on Jeremy Corbyn, and there's no there's no sort of argument that the right wing have a choice in this. They're sort of forced into. The, of course, they had to uh, all resign and force a second leadership election. They had no choice because Jeremy Corbyn hadn't invited him, them to the pub. So what else were they going to do? You know, and it's like they could they could just get behind Corbyn a bit more. That that is an option for them, but it's never mentioned as one. You know, and of course, there's never an option for Polly. And this is what she's writing this article about. She's like, she obviously she connects with those MPs because that's how she can't get behind Corbyn. Yeah, because it, then it goes on to talk about deselection. Exactly. So I think that's could really stop important. dead or talk of deselecting MPs, which you could say right now, Polly Tomby could write an article about. Keir Starmer and say exactly the same thing, but she won't. Yeah. Uh, and, and then it gives the examples of MPs that were under threat because there was a, a big left-wing movement within the party, right? And now the exact opposite is happening, but, you know, it's just like, it's, you know, there's no sort of principle here of, of oh, you know, Polly Tomby is against deselection. It's no, she doesn't like the fact that it's people like Stella Creasy that are in the firing line at this time of the Labour Party. But now that it's it's people like I don't know um, Zara Sultana or whatever, she's quite happy. Yeah, it's projection again. So the things that she was projecting onto the left that we would deselect MPs and didn't happen are things which the right actually do and she supports. So then she get, she cuts to she's in the thick of it. She's in Labour conference, and uh, oh no, I just wanted to mention before that just at the end of this, it's sort of almost half the article just this sort of pure speculation about how. Uh, evil Corbyn is. He says, all this Machiavellian backroom manoeuvring is out of keeping with his benign, almost devotional image. And I just like this idea that it's like the whole thing is about how ruthless Corbyn is at grabbing power. But then like the other argument that's always used is that he's not serious about winning power. You know, it's these two yeah. contradictory things that are just, they're just throwing mud, like anything you can think of. Um, anyway, so then we get so, to... Wait a sec, I want to just go back on that. So summer 2016, you had Corbyn is too nice for politics. Yeah. Followed yeah. immediately the week after by Corbyn is a bully. You're right, yeah. totally <laughs> contradictory. They came in thick, in a quick succession, those smears, summer 2016. They were just trying anything. And I just want to... So this Machiavellian backroom manoeuvring, it's really about um, rule change at conference. Um, and... It says before that, how short-sighted not to make minor concessions that will put opponents in his debt. And basically all Corbyn did was make major concessions that were, and never put opponents in his debt. They never thought they owed him anything. They always thought that the, the only thing they wanted was him to be gone. Um, 
it's so bizarre. It's so it's like we're living in parallel universes, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember the quotes coming out when he was initially elected in 2015. It was like, this is a disaster. You, he won't last a week. The Labour Party's finished. It's like, it doesn't sound like the sort of people who, who are willing to work with him if he just, you know, took them to the pub and, and gave them some concessions. Um, anyway, let's get on to the, yeah. the meat of it, which is, so Tombi's at conference and uh, she's, she's uh, full of praise for Corbyn supporters. Uh, which, of course, are the people that she's trying to convince in this article shouldn't be Corbyn supporters. Uh, I have been besieged at the Labour conference by thoroughly decent people who cannot understand why I and many Guardian colleagues can't just get behind Corbyn. I mean, I wonder about that. I can understand why. And I could understand. I, re I read this article at the time. And by this, I mean, maybe 2015, I couldn't understand. But by 2016, I, uh, I definitely understood, I'd read enough Guardian articles to understand that they were getting behind and there was a reason for that. And so I wonder when she was there, like, were there lots of people that were confused by, I, I mean, maybe. I don't know about the confused, but I do think there was still the thing, even though I kind of knew as well, you would still, if you saw someone like Polly Toynbee say, why can't you just get behind them? You would yeah. still ask that question, I think. So yeah, I'm sure they, she was getting asked it all the time because it was bizarre. The whole thing was bizarre. Yeah. The attacks on Corbyn were much stronger from The Guardian than from any other newspaper in the sense that there was just more and more articles. They started summer 2015 every single day um, and they never really relented. Anyway, so doesn't he stand for all the things we advocate? And then she's talking about the, the people she's met against. Some are young, but many are my age, flocking back to Labour after leaving long ago over Iraq and a host of disappointments. Yeah, Rack, what a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, destroying a country. Mm, disappointed. <laughs> illegal, yeah. Um, <laughs> which actually, I, uh, you sent me this morning, didn't you, the um, Observer editorial supporting um, the war in Iraq from 2003. I think we should put that in, in the notes. It's really revealing. It's also saying there was never anything great about the Observer or the Guardian. I mean, they always there was always problems with them. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I highlighted just one part of that. Um, I mean, the, the thing about The Guardian is even at this time with, with uh, when Jeremy Corbyn was leader, and of course at the time of the Iraq war, The Guardian has so many editorials that it, it, it always has something to say that might, might be more sympathetic or could be read to be more sympathetic. But the, the, the idea is that The Guardian creates a kind of culture, right? And the majority, the vast majority of its articles were like this one. They were reading um, yeah. and I don't know about the Iraq war exactly but this was like an editorial and it was basically just putting out the, the case for war basically st yeah. straight from from the Blair government right what they were basically saying um, but there's one great part which I think I just want to talk about because it parallels what we just mentioned about the, the right wing the Labour party having no choice but to be absolutely ruthless and totally unworkable with Corbyn. The article talks about that, about Iraq. Like it's, it says, you know, everyone's talking about why, uh, you know, what America's doing and, and why America are pursuing war, but let's talk about wh why Iraq are basically giving us no choice. And it's like, how is how can Iraq have any sort of say? And it's, you know, it's this idea that the UK and the US are being sort of pushed in. They'd, they'd love to not go to war, but they just, it's unavoidable. There's nothing yeah. they can do. Yeah, ditto Polly would just love to get behind Corbyn, but you know, yeah, it is yeah. exactly that. It's like, um, it's it's almost that kind of technocratic idea that there's no ideology that they're using. There's a denial of ideology. It's just a rational response to events. And it's- Yeah, so they're, just, they're just reacting. Yeah, yeah. And whereas we are ideological, whereas they're yeah. just- observers of events um and it's it is uh, the most problematic of positions to present yourself as outside of ideology outside of any kind of th systems of of thought and belief uh yeah here is i'll just put it in uh, one thing this is from the uh, iraq this is from 2000 uh, january 2003 yeah uh, and it's a long thing talking about all of the reasons why we should go to war uh, one thing which has been stressed too little in recent weeks is that it's Iraq's choices that have been that have brought war closer. The debate in Britain and Europe continues to focus largely on what America is doing and why. 
Too often it is overlooked that it is a rack which remains at the 11th hour in defiance of the will of its region and the wider world. Yeah, but yeah, okay, the other thing I was going to say about this is like, it's quite nice that in this podcast we have the two examples of people who were hounding Polly Toynbee at conference. Like we have the young person, which is you, and we have the people who are close to her age flocking back to Labour after leaving long ago. Yeah, well, you were at that uh, conference. It was Brighton. When, when was Brighton? I can't remember now, see. I, I remember... Oh, I 2016, to... I remember. It was Liverpool. It was Liverpool. I wasn't getting... I wasn't... I, that wasn't wrong. I was, I was, just, I was at World Transformed if it was Liverpool. Yeah, okay. I didn't even... I didn't go to conference at all. No, I didn't either. I was at the World Transformed. That was um, the first one, right? When it was yes. in the big church yeah. thing. Yeah, That's that was so great. Weird. We were both there, right? Yeah, That's yeah, cool. yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I was going to talk, maybe we'll talk about this in another video, but I was going to talk about, uh, I think it'd be interesting to talk about where we, how we crossed paths many times before we sort of met each other, because we were yeah. both in sort of Hackney Labour circles to some degree, you much more in the sort of inner circle and me kind yeah. of floating around aimlessly, but well, we, we still crossed paths yeah, <laughs> we did. time yeah, to time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's get back to this. This yeah, so she's asking, you know, you know, how could it possibly be that he that she's not got behind Corbyn when they agree on so much? Um, everyone, yes, everyone they know has joined this mass movement, this great wave for a better society. If only we, as in the Guardian, would see that they are ready to sweep the country off its feet, a Podemos, part of a great global shift. So please, please join us. And I don't know what to make, the, it's sort of, it's sort of framing this sort of naivety, I suppose, it's right? It's patronizing, it's really patronizing. Yeah, it's patronizing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like we're ready to sweep the country off its feet. It's like yeah, falling in love, right? I don't remember it's like, saying that. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is about romance as opposed we're, to male We're go-getters, we're gonna, <laughs> it's just like this, this crazy optimism. I mean, there was, optimism in the fact that there was something happening in politics it was interesting but there was yeah. there was definitely a great sort of uh just like worry about how do we how do we make this work right um nobody was like well we've got you know <laughs> next stop number 10 it's like yeah. just gonna sit back and <laughs> wait for it all to work out yeah anyway so let's 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 move on um there's just more loads of compliments about these people but, but the interesting thing is they, they are polite and earnest, not brick throwers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do you have to mention the brick throwers? I mean, that's, they're, the two, like, they're the two options you've got if, if you're in politics, right? I mean, can you imagine if you say, they're polite and earnest people, they're not child abusers. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, there's an assumption that maybe some people might think we were brick throwers. Um, well, I think that's the idea. Like, why are you getting involved in politics? You must be like some kind of mob. Yeah, but also there was that incident with um, at Andrew Leary's office where a brick was thrown through the window, which had nothing at all to do with I any of Jeremy Corbyn. But of course, the Guardian and everyone else was smearing us as responsible, and so they're invoking this smear. Yeah, invoking the smear. I can't remember if this if it's this article, but this is something common comes up. Like they'll even if they don't say like in this, they're not brick throwers. They kind of I say invoke. Uh, all these right-wing stories that have been coming out. They're quite happy to, to reinforce that association. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, let's get on to the answer then. She's got all these people asking her why she won't join. And then she says, my answers sound cynical, which is, I think, quite honest. And then she says, worldly, which is quite good. I like that kind of, you know, so... It's cynical, but isn't it in the end? That's because I'm a bit, I'm a bit more intelligent, a bit more switched on than these people. And but then she says unworthy, which again I think is quite nice in the face of this surge of belief. Belief, not again, not rational. It's like yeah, we're, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're in love. We're taken up by this religious conviction. It's yeah, not which about she, rational. She mentions action. later. Yeah. Um, why not? Because Corbyn and McDonnell. Uh, burdened by their history, will never ever earn the trust of enough voters to make any plan happen. Never, okay. ever, 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 never, ever, 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 ever. 2017, they almost win. I mean, it's it's the rest of this article is quite amazing in how she she's talking about how delusional the people are that the are support supportive of the Corbyn leadership, and just the facts, which like the just the plain facts that you can't argue with. She knows 
that are the truth of the Brit of Britain and, and the electoral system in Britain and they can you know all of that turned out to be wrong a year later yeah uh, can we do burdened by their history it's really interesting yeah well, yeah well of course yeah so, so um this is showing again how she's presenting something as this is just the truth they've got this history it's a burden but it's a very ideological position to say that opposition to the Iraq war <laughs> burdened by your history to say that op opposition to PFI to these private financial initiatives which have destroyed our health system and other other parts of our public sector to say that opposition to that is burdened by your history so any of the things that are associated with Colin McDonnell are, uh, are can constructed as a burden when actually most of the public I mean they were smeared for their history that's a totally different thing to being burdened by their history yeah history. well the, you know? the idea, yeah the idea is um as we were saying earlier you take the, the right wing framing the right wing talking points the articles, the mudslinging that, that the right's going to throw, and you you say that that in some way it's 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 too impossible to fight, right? Yeah. Um, so you don't even fight. bother, and that's what this article's about. The reason she can't get behind Corbyn is because uh, the right wing has has too strong a case against him that uh, the British people will be taken in. Now that turned out not to be true a year later. Uh, oh, it turned out to be true in 2019, because at that point, the Guardian yeah. had published for the space of a couple of years, one article a day about Labour Party anti-Semitism. So, yeah, they became burdened by the version of their history that the Guardian promoted relentlessly. Yes, but that that's that was mainly, as as you say, because it was the Guardian. So it was, yeah. it was inside the tent, supposedly, and it, you know, it was turning off people that, that were Corbyn supporters in 2017. And also by that point, you know, as we've spoken about many times on this podcast, you know, the anti-Semitism narrative was just ridiculous. You know, it had nothing really to do with Corbyn's past and stuff. Obviously, that those moments, things that he'd done, places he'd been, were used to fuel this kind of thing. But you know, all of that was true before 2017. You know, what I find amazing about that whole sort of fall from grace is between 2017 and 2019, was there a single kind of scandal? You know, was there some kind of big new like story that came up that Corbyn did something wrong or said something wrong? No, like it it was all stuff that was being dug up and sort of thrown, you know, and, and twisted more and more from years back in the past, you know. Well, you're gonna sound like you're um proving Polly's point that they were burdened by their history. <laughs> but yeah, yeah well I, I well I am I am saying but, that they 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 could be. If the, Guardian, if the Guardian didn't want to fight it, but also and they felt... It, it wasn't sorry. burdened by their history, it was burdened by a thing that was done in the name of their history. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway... But what I mean is that it wasn't... Uh, it didn't have to be that way. That, that wasn't... No. The, the idea in this article is that that's 100% assumed, and it wasn't in 2017. And I think almost that's partly because they... they Polly Tomby really believes it, and she thought yeah. they're never going to vote for this guy. And people yeah. did. And then the Guardian like, OK, well, now we have to make sure that they don't vote for him again. So they came in. Whereas before, I think they were happy to let just the right wing press uh, do the job. And obviously enough people were sceptical of that message and receptive to Corbyn's message that it, it didn't puncture through in the same way as it did. Yeah, when when the Guardian got more on board. But I don't think the, the, the Guardian was thinking we'll let the right wing press do it. I think they were thinking we'll let the people do it. Their version of the people was um, the country was people who would be like them and would reject Corbyn. Um, and then they found out that the people of this country didn't. And actually still don't largely. I mean, you still meet a lot of love for Jeremy Corbyn when, whenever you're around. I mean, obviously not the majority of people, but from a huge chunk of people. And I think the Guardian at that point had, Guardian writers had a, oh my God, the people of this country are not a reflection of ourselves moment. I think it passed fairly quickly, but it was there for maybe a month or so. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on. At one conference meeting, when a speaker said Labour must win some Tory votes, someone shouted out, why? We don't want Tories. So I find myself arguing dry, uh, how do you say this? Cephology. I think it's cephology, yeah. Yeah, which is talking about uh, electoral politics uh, against it's polling. Hashtag... It's polling specifically. Polling, sorry. Cephology, yeah. Well, okay. yeah. All right. All right. Sorry. 
No, you're right, you're right. Uh, against uh, passionate conviction. It's depressing, but here's the Fabian Society's analysis. I love that. And there's a link to another article from the Fabian Society. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's depressing, but here's the analysis that's, that counts, which is what the Fabian Society was putting out. And then it gets it sort of gives a long list of- uh, I read that, I read that stuff, because I think that stuff is like- Labour needs 104 seats in England and Wales, and 40% of the vote to win. In the marginals, four out of every five of the extra votes must come from those who were Tory last time. Even if the young are energized, it gets nowhere close. Even if every single Liberal Democrat and Green vote went Labour, that only gives 29 seats. Even if UKIP were crushed, its votes divided uh, equally among Labour and Tories. As Labour wins radical votes, it risks losing moderate votes to the Tories. Uh, read the research yourself and groan. It hurts. I like that because that's like she wishes it wasn't so, but they're the facts of the matter and you can't argue with them. Except, of, of course, course of course, she could. loves it, though. She's very happy that those are the facts of the matter. Yeah. I mean, um, I think she says yeah. it hurts, but I mean, it, it hurts hurt more she if she has to write this and not another article. Yeah. And of course, it's really interesting. Like you say, it's really ironic given in 2017, we did get 40% of the vote to win. We did energise young people. We were getting votes off Tories, people who voted Tory last time. Um, it, you know, we, you can- Yeah, the uh, assumption is that the only way you can get votes of the Tory is to sort of parody Tory-like policies, right? Which yeah. is not the case. You can just, you can have a completely different narrative. And I think that's, that's always been my frustration is you're turning like the, a lot of people don't vote. A lot of people vote Tory on, you know, particular issues, particular um, divisive, often nowadays culture war kind of issues. But if you start to argue about other things, then you can win people over for other reasons. And that's yeah. what that's what happened in 2017. Uh, but she just it's beyond her imagination. Or would you say that? Would you say it's be, or do you, would you say that? Um, she just doesn't want to admit that that's possible. I don't really know how I can go into someone's intentions. Um, like, I don't know what's going psychologically, what she's doing to, in order to believe these things, whether it's she's aware that she's just selling out or whether she's just selling out because of who she is. I'm going to assume it's more like the second one. I think she believes this stuff, but how she can maintain these positions in the face of so much evidence to the contrary, I don't know how that works. But it doesn't really matter. It's just matters that she can say this crap, doesn't it, rather than why she said it. Yeah, and she and the way she says it hurts so much, but then she's so forthright and there's absolutely no yeah. um, doubt in her mind about what's going on. So she's, you know, in the next thing she's like, she sort of tries to explain this to the, the Corbyn, you know, religious zealots. This is um, a great paragraph, right? And there's like, um, in one fraught conversation after another, I try all this on Corbyn Believers, tries telling them all this um, Fabian society, yeah. electoral And, and again, stats. believers, believers, not supporters, not activists. Yeah, <laughs> Corbyn believers. Not socialists. Yeah. I don't are... believe Corbyn exists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I, I'm, a, yeah, I'm a Corbyn, I'm a Corbyn truther. He was never, he never existed. <laughs> 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 I was a conference. It was a hologram, I tell you. I was there. Um, anyway, so, and there he goes, no compromise, blocked ears, total denial of electoral facts, a post-truth conviction. <laughs> so that is a subtle way of saying that we're like Trump supporters, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but also it's, of course, projection. She's the one who won't compromise. She's the one who's got blocked ears. She's the one who's in total denial of electoral facts. Yes, exactly. I mean, she's the one that's so adamant in a position. But we're like, yeah, it's sort of like QAnon is the same as thinking that you might be able to build a slightly different base to uh, to the Blairites. <laughs> <It's like> the <laughs> same. <laughs> and then it's like you can hear this non-meeting of minds everywhere at this conference, a shutter of incomprehension dividing the two sides. But we can convince them. People will listen. They do think Corbyn will be the next prime minister because conviction moves mountains. These are likable people and I envy their certainty. The way you can envy the religious, their delusions. Yeah. And she makes the subtext text, right? She's been implying that we're delusional um, and, and just have a religious evangelical, 
how do you say that word? Evangelical. Evangelical, yeah. Right. She's been pointing out that she dominates the subtext text. So you can envy the religious their delusions. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just unbelievable, isn't it? And I think the thing about did we believe Colvin was going to be prime minister? Um, some yes, some no. But the point was, that if we're talking to Polly Toynbee, we're trying to convince her, right? We're not going to tell her the truth of the angst that people on the left had. So the people on the left had angst-filled conversations with each other all the time. But we didn't then go to the people who were our class enemies inside the party and say, by the way, I'm not sure about any of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, she, knew, she knows very well. No, I mean, people were, of course, no one knows what's going to happen. But the, the idea is that you, you make it out that the Corbyn supporters are, are too sure of themselves which makes her position, I'm just a little bit more of a skeptic. That's all I'm saying is, you know, maybe things aren't so, you know, we're not so sure that Corbyn's gonna absolutely wipe the floor. And it's like, no, that's that, you're trying to make that look like the framing, but what you're really doing is saying he has no chance and you're absolutely sure that he has no chance. Again, yeah. as you say before, it's like projection. It's exactly what they're doing or she's doing in this case. Um, and I just wanted to say, yeah, the, a lot of these lines, you know, you know, word for word, you could turn them around on Starmer and the way that she writes about Starmer now. So uh, remember, remember some of these lines as, as we, about her uh, criticism of Labour supporters of Corbyn, uh, yeah, Labour members who support Corbyn, because uh, they come back to haunt her, I feel. So uh, skipping to the end, uh, what hope for a party that threatens to be irrelevant for years to come? The best of Labour is in power, in the cities, as leaders and mayors, competent and imaginative in struggling with monstrous cuts from London's Sadiq Khan to Nick Forbes in Newcastle. Otherwise, it's a matter of waiting until enough party members come to terms with grim electoral reality and decide to compromise with the voters. Does that really need a devastating election defeat? What do you think, Heather? There's a few things there. Just a little bit of Schadenfreude there with Nick Forbes, who got deselected by his local party, who's ruthless Machiavellians. Yeah, even after Corbyn, that's very that's just the recent election. So after after the Corbyn surge was over, the left is and still Starmer. Under Starmer, Nick Forbes got what? I know, <laughs> crazy. Um, so well done to those people in his ward in Newcastle. Solidarity to them and um, great victory, comrades. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, it did actually take a devastating election defeat. Um, we had 2017 and everyone was like jubilant, but it took 2019 for people to do what she wanted them to do, which is so, just say, we're not going to stay with the left. We can't do it. Um, and didn't, people didn't generally vote for Rebecca Long-Bailey. They voted for Keir Starmer. Um, because I think people were very damaged by what happened. Hmm. And I remember like 2019, election night, like with my MP Meg Hillier, there was a kind of poly time B moment, which is, her saying, you know, I wish it wasn't so, I'm really sad about this, but obviously not being jubilant. Yeah, well, um, so she says, uh, what did she say? Otherwise, it's a matter of waiting until enough party members come to terms with grim electoral reality and decide to compromise with the voters. Compromise with the voters. So Labour members are not voters. They're an alien species that live in a sort of parallel universe and have no idea about anything. And the voters uh, are, we know who the voters are. They're the people who vote between Tories on Labour on these very key marginal issues that we always fight about. And the thing is, there are voters like that, whether they can be shifted through other arguments, that's one reason. And there's, of course, millions of people who don't vote. And, and to totally dismiss all of those people and those ideas that they, it could be any other way, like, like the voters are a block that have uh, it's almost like a like a political kind of movement that is the voter and the political movement is the Labour membership and they have sort of opposing ideas, which is yeah. really sort of strange, you know, because you would never sort of frame that as where the Tories are coming from. Yeah, even though actually Tory party membership, as we're finding out, is much not just much smaller than Labour party membership, but much more extreme. Yeah, of and course. There's a right-wing academic called Tim Bale who did research about members of political parties, and that's very clear, is that Conservative Party members are definitely an outlier on everything. And but but also, but the right-wing press is, is often yeah. there with them, right? Sort of trying to persuade everybody else to come along with these outriders. Whereas, yeah. the, you know, the left-wing press, supposedly, you know, The Guardian, is saying, come on, guys, you're crazy. We need to, we need to engage with the arguments of 
the, the Tory, you know, the, the soft Tory voters, rather yeah. than try and persuade them to come to our position. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a sort of just uh, uh, this, this sort of belief that nobody in this country wants uh, to have nationalized uh, infrastructure, even though polling shows that it does. No, they don't really want that. We've got to, we've got to meet them where they are. And, you know, it's, it, it, I mean, there's just, there's no, there's no argument for it except ideology, right? Yeah. That's and your was... position and you want the rest of the country to be in that position. And so you kind of always try to create the circumstances where there's no other arguments can be made. So therefore we are in that position. Yeah. And what's, this is very clear because we're going to flash forward now. Um, what, what is it? Up six years to 2022 to an article that came out this month. This is very clear her ideological position, because now she's got someone in the Labour Party leadership in Keir Starmer who's doing exactly what she thinks is necessary. Um, and yet the evidence is that it's not working. And so how does she deal with the evidence that it's not working? Um, and what does she write is what we're going to see next. So moving on to not radical enough, question mark, Starmer's caution may yet carry Labour to power. The official opposition is within touching distance of victory. Is, what do you think about that? Is an opening statement. Um, it isn't confident. really, is it? No, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> I mean, compared with the opening statement, the last one, it's equal levels of fantasy, right? Basically. Yeah. yeah. So there's not really any evidence for that. I mean, Starmer's doing okay in the polling, but considering the Tories don't have a leader at the moment, you could argue he's not doing that well. The thing is, though, so polling, the problem with polling is you always have to compare polling with actual votes. To get a sense of whether because polling makes loads of different assumptions right because most of the people who are polled most people make up their mind how they're going to vote very close to election usually within a sort of two weeks of an election so when you're polling outside of that two-week period you're getting loads and loads of don't knows and you're getting loads of people who um, are probably not telling you what they're going to do and, and so you have to make decisions about what you do with those don't knows you're also making decisions about who are the likely voters you know Again, people make decisions about whether to vote or not quite close in an election. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I so think assumptions. And if you don't look at those assumptions in the small print, you have to compare the polling with actual results. And Labour has significantly underperformed on polling every single vote, I think, except for one by election. Um, and actually, Labour has lost seats compared to where Corbyn was in its um, local elections. So it's, it's weird that she's sticking with, I mean, it's obviously not weird that she's going with polling. As, a, as evidence, as we'll see later in the article, rather than actual votes, because she goes with actual votes. There's no evidence that Labour is doing well. That's true. But I mean, whatever you want to go by, to say touching distance of victory, there isn't an election on. You know, how, I don't, how you can be so close to winning, we don't even know when the election's going to be. It's, she thinks it's going to be this that year. kind of language when there's not even a chance at the moment. It's so like spoiler alert. She thinks it's this year. But even still, I just feel like that's what you say when you think they're going to win an election, which is happening. Right. I don't know. I just think I just don't think like all of this stuff. It's very carefully picked language that's that sort of really pushes you down a particular way of thinking. And it's not really based on anything. Uh, so anyway, as minor skirmishes break out within the party, Labour people should keep their eyes firmly fixed on that prize. All the disasters must belong to the Tories. You know, the way that they didn't do under Corbyn or weren't told to do. Oh, then keep your eyes firmly fixed on the skirmishes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always feel like, yes, yes, that should, that's always the case, right? But before it was like, no, no, let's talk about these disasters. But also it's not just like keep, keep your eyes firmly fixed on the minor skirmishes, which was the, um, the mantra of the Guardian during the coming years. But it's like, let's, let's us give you lots and lots of minor and major skirmishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's fill our pages with them. Even Here's a skirmish you didn't even know you should be concentrating on. <laughs> but yeah, but it's like, it's always like fixed on the prize. Like the, the whole thing is because that's where Starmer is. He's fixed on the prize um, and everything he's doing is to win an election. You know, that, what is that, the prize? What is the prize? Uh, the prize is, 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 is crushing the Tories. And that's what you do. You crush the Tories in an election and then you uh, go home and don't think about anything for four years. <laughs> yeah. It's a good prize. <laughs> it means yeah. you don't have to get all uh, 
angry on Twitter for a while. By the end of this year, Keir Starmer may be in number 10. Yeah, okay. I mean, was, maybe. This is epic delusion, right? <laughs> Uh, with the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, next door. And I, I love that sort of set. How exciting. <laughs> Imagine those two. What are they going to get up to? <laughs> uh, and with a cabinet table filled with serious new ministers hitting the ground running. It's the, it's the A-team. I mean, you know, I, uh, serious new ministers. Yes, yeah, so not radical. No. And not socialist. And not silly. And not progressive. Not serious. Okay, technocracy. serious technocracy on on steroids all of this is technocracy on steroids it's all process it's all rationality it's all we're the good people and so we should run the country fuck you it doesn't matter what we stand for it just matters that we win and are serious <laughs> yeah, that's a, we'll win and we're serious <laughs> um yeah anyway so uh after liz Truss, let's assume it's her uh has hit the ground uh, as she mistweeted recently. I don't know about this, but presumably she, she meant to say hit the ground running herself. Um, nice. The Tory cabinet will fade as if a bad dream. I like that. That's the kind of thing. It's like we crushed the Tories in the election. It's all over now. Don't worry about, you know, what's happened. We're here now. And it's also because I think there is a level of residual guilt amongst the liberal media class and particularly columnists like Polly Toynbee, that essentially what they did was enable Boris Johnson to come into power. They do know that. So what they need to do to stop feeling guilty about that is to erase that completely. This is not okay. fantasy. It's I'm not get... sure whether the main... I mean, I... There is, there is. That's why <laughs> Boris Johnson had to go. I'm really convinced about this. There was all, if you saw the kind of liberal pundit class around Boris Johnson going, it's like, oh my God, now it's all okay. Because that was that was their problem. That was their proof of their bad faith. That was their proof of their not being the people they think they are. Is that they had let in someone who is clearly monstrous, clearly um, not even in their own terms a good person, not even respecting the office that he's in. So they had to get rid of him. So even that was like totally a kind of top down with um, removal of, of Boris Johnson, wasn't it? There's no real evidence that the people who voted for him didn't want him there. It was just that the, the media class didn't want him there because they'd enabled something they felt. And the, and the Tories. Yeah, the Tories, the ruling class. So it's Because he'd, he'd actually, he'd weathered the storm at that point, it seemed. Um, yeah, I feel that as well. I think Michael Walker made a good point about that. Like, there's an argument there that you don't want to support this kind of stuff because that's exactly what they would have done to Corbyn. They, you know, they, they, you, yes. they move against... The leader yeah. when actually the mandate from the people is you're not 100 percent sure that it's there right yeah so definitely like i was talking to my brother about this and he was like it's definitely a coup the removal yeah. of boris johnson in this way um and just because you don't like boris johnson doesn't mean that you should be supporting yeah, um, yeah, yeah. an undemocratic move against someone yeah um anyway uh where are we so uh nothing but trouble awaits uh shackled to, to those impossible pledges so you know she's going to fall flat on her face because of everything that's happening in the country right this is Liz trust yeah this is Liz trust yes which is it's classic because that is all that starmer really has is the fact that the, the tories are incompetent and wrecking the country and it's just whether that can be framed as bad enough to shift some tory voters to vote Lib. there's no attraction to keir starmer in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I'm, I'm not going to fill that gap. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the damage of Brexit will, hard, uh, with, of Brexit will harden uh, if trust breaks Northern Ireland protocol, triggering an EU trade war. So it's all this, this doom and gloom. I think the stuff about the EU is fascinating, really fascinating, because, of course, yeah, we should, we should deal with this. Well, it, okay, yeah, yeah. The right. so of the she goes on. If she veers an inch from a rock-hard Brexit, then the European Research Group will make her life hell. Her vociferous climate refusers will keep her to abolishing green levies and not letting net zero affect business, while long neg neglected infrastructure is exposed in energy and water shortages. Boris yes. Johnson sitting behind her, yearning to return, will relish every failure. I, I don't know about that assumption. I, do you think Boris Johnson's going to hang around? I haven't I mean, given any thought at all, to be honest. You haven't given any thought to Boris no. Johnson's future prospects. That's all keeps me up at night, it does. I'm not sure. 
yeah. if he's gonna if he's gonna fare well. Anyway, um, so uh, yeah, what what did you want to say about the EU? Oh yeah, it comes in later actually. EU stuff. This is all good stuff. So she's bringing in the EU. So she's going to at some point talk about Starmer on the EU. But before she talks about when when the general election comes. Oh Labour yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Let's get to. So she's talking about all of the problems that Trust is going to have to face. Uh, yeah. And let's and then sh let's go on to talking about Starmer. We're really <laughs> interested. Yeah, she has a little diversion to say how amazing the polling is, even in the Red Wall. So, um, oh yeah, Starby, Starmer's Starby the darling of the Red Wall. Yeah, he um, beats every contender as best prime minister when Red Wall voters asked. That didn't last very long. A couple of weeks later, polling came out that put him slightly behind. I think Liz Truss. But you know, polling. No one should rely on polling. They should have learned that. Well, you can you yeah you can cherry pick, and that's what yeah. she does in in the article previously. Um, she builds up all of the arguments, yeah, which are the sort of standard arguments for why you should have a sort of blare out leader, right? Even though yeah. that's increasingly got less of the vote for for the last few decades, um, and obviously then in two thousand seventeen, uh, all of the those ideas were proven wrong. But there's always yeah. you know there's always a case to do something else, right? Yeah. And that, and she just cherry picks. The, the polling. And that's the thing, she puts it like objectively, you can't fight these facts about the polling. Yeah, so the interesting about polling is that it's supposed to describe reality, right? So there's supposed to be a reality out there of how people will vote in an election and polling is attempting to describe that. And of course that's not true. What polling is trying to do is to bring about certain things. So polling is embedded in polling is all these assumptions about what politics should look like, about who is electable. Because mm. it's about um, for example, what will happen to the don't knows are based on assumptions about what, how people vote. And since the don't knows are such a big chunk, you're embedding in it the kind of politics that Polly Toynbee has. So it's no surprise that these polls reflect Polly Toynbee's reality rather than reflecting our reality. Yeah. Let's go on to, to uh, her arguments for uh, why Starmer doesn't need to be radical, but he's uh, still very likely to win. When the new Tory leader gets a poll bounce, expect impatient Labour people to panic at Starmer's caution. It was essential, though painful, to take a stand against rejoining the single market or customs union. The word rejoin ignites old fires. Uh, do you want to talk about this or shall I? Yeah, um, I'll just say something which is remarkable. Um, the road to Damascus conversion Polly Toynbee has had, that by 2022 she realises that the word rejoin, and Keir Starmer as well, ignites old fires. Whereas in 2019, she was really happy to see those fires not just reignited, but burn through the country and burn through the Labour Party and our chances of getting a socialist government. Yeah, I think this is where you really see um, how The Guardian can work to sort of to shape the kind of situation that they, the sort of outcome that they want. So in 2019, not just The Guardian, but there's a big movement to say that there was a good chance and it was really important that we take that chance to try and change uh, the outcome of the referendum, right? And so it's like the referendum itself, that was illegitimate. It was probably Russia, like did the whole thing. And people didn't know, people were uninformed, didn't know what they were voting for. You know, let's all, let's try that again, right? And it's like, okay, so you, you don't think the referendum was right. And then we have an election 2019, not another referendum, an election, which are all sorts of issues. And because the Tories have a massive majority in that election, oh, that, that means that Brexit uh, is a done deal. Now we understand. Now we see that uh, the country really wants to leave Brexit. We didn't believe it before, but now we do believe it. Uh, also, it's happened to have destroyed Jeremy Corbyn's chances of becoming prime minister. That's unfortunate that that happens at the same time. You know, and yeah. I think that's you know, that's basically, you, you, they, they decided that everybody in the country, you need to really think about Brexit and vote on Brexit lines in this election, because it'll split Labour's vote. And yeah. now that it's over, uh, don't think about Brexit anymore, because that'll split Labour's vote. So we should, you know, we should join it back together and forget about Brexit. And it's, it, yeah, it's incredible how that, basically yeah. overnight, that happened. Yes. And what I said at the beginning about how does anyone survive with that level of cognitive dissonance? Well, yeah, because she's the sort of person that's making the argument, I guess. But then, you know, I know people who are not making money out of this situation 
but are swayed, you know, that did think that in 2019 and now do think, you know, they're swayed by these arguments. And so they have that similar problem, the people that, that actually read this stuff and believe it. Yeah. And I think the other thing is it's reinforced. That's what's the, the you know, it's not just Polly Tornby. Like there was the, the people's whatever choice awards, whatever it was, like the people's movement <laughs> thing. Vote, yeah, yeah. yeah, the people's vote. And, the, you know, there was, a, there was a whole like organized infrastructure and loads of uh, newspaper articles. You know, everyone was kind of, you know, a groupthink idea. And then yeah. the groupthink shifts. So it's, it's very easy to not really question, you know, have I changed or have the world changed, you know? And so you don't have to, uh, yeah, you don't have to really think whether you, because it, it, that's what I mean, the, the way the Guardian, yeah. the reason that 2019 was a moment to question Brexit was because they made it one. Yeah. You could still be in that moment if you wanted to keep it going, right? And, yeah. and you know, but they're like, no, the smart money now is on, we'll get Starmer and then maybe in 20 years we'll rejoin. Yeah, and it's a much better moment to question Brexit now because we've actually implemented it. So you're not breaking with democracy if you question Brexit now. Whereas, of course, when they're questioning it in 2019 without it being even implemented, you were actually challenging the largest um, democratic vote in my lifetime, in your lifetime, um, the only one which, where every single vote counted. Um, and yeah, and just... Now you could campaign to rejoin because we've implemented that referendum and that would be a kind of clean democratic approach but they, they're yeah, not I mean, we can talk about this it's so annoying i mean it's something i said in another video before like so you know the the, the sort of general analysis of the sort of center liberal left sort of thing was like well the 2019 election decisive victory of tories that ends the brexit debate but also it's the end of corbyn and it's the end of corbyn because of his left-wing agenda and anti-semitism and that's yes. nothing nothing to do with brexit Yes, no, whereas the 2016 it's... referendum was not a definitive vote. Uh, yeah, also people that, have yeah. said to me, oh yeah, but people lied during the referendum. The level of lies of the 2019 campaign is off the charts compared to anything from the referendum. It's a level of bad faith from the media, from everyone that I've never seen in this country. And yet that election is supposed to stand and supposed to be a judgment on all of us and all the things we hoped for, on nationalisation, on a foreign policy based on justice and human rights, on economic equality and progressive shifts, on so many things, on building council housing. We're supposed to somehow give up on that, I guess, because, because like that election was the judgment on that. It was on so many things, and yet the, the, there was a single vote on a single issue in 2016, where every vote counted, but that's apparently not, not a legitimate vote. No, it was Russia. Yeah. It's always Russia. Okay, I think the next part. Well, no, it wasn't always Russia. 2019 wasn't Russia. They're sleep of yeah. the wheel, they were. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously 2019 wasn't Russia because, yeah, otherwise, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the next paragraph is even better. I think it's my favorite paragraph in the article. It's the same with strikes. All of Labour backs the fight to prevent massive cuts for those whose pay fell or stagnated for a decade. Strikers stand for everyone. The ununionized are pulled up by union rates, but Starmer is not wrong to think that a convincing government in waiting shouldn't be seen as protesters. Parliament is their forum. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, Labour shadow ministers gnashed their teeth over the picket line grandstanding of Sam Tarry, who reacted to the prospect of being deselected in Ilford South by claiming, I am on the side of ordinary British workers as if the rest weren't. How could you dare question that? I mean, how dare Sam Tarry imply something? Yeah. <laughs> Tornby would never do that. No, she uh, wouldn't. <laughs> Mick, uh, Mick Lynch is a great advocate, but the Shadow Cabinet has a more complex task than that bald working class idiot could ever understand. <laughs> Sorry, that's that. not what she said. That, then Mick Lynch does. That's what she says. Sorry. Yes. I mean, that, so, so much in that. So it's true that there hasn't been enough comment about the fact that Sam Tarry's actions are, I mean, I'm sure related to the prospect of being deselected in Ilford South. He's been triggered. But it's really interesting to contrast that with the kind of love she had for Peter Kyle and Stella Creasy, who were apparently threatened with deselection, even though they weren't. There was no trigger ballots that went against them ever. And protested in the people's vote. I thought we were, our yeah. forum was parliament, not marching on the streets. Starmer was there as well, but that was yes. too important. Yeah. So it's, Unlike it's, this, this is not really that important, is it? Is it? I mean, if it was as important, then Tornby would support going on the protests, right? 
but it's not that important. It's not important. And she's, yeah, it's obviously completely ridiculous. But, but it's so weird to just see this deselection thing in there as if... He is overacting because of this deselection. Yes. When Whereas the people she was like, who even the mention not... of deselection under Corbyn, like, we should all kick off. Yes, exactly. And I think this Mick Lynch has a simpler job than the Shadow yeah, Cabinet. Yeah. His unbelievable arrogance. Like being some kind of like minister in the Shadow Cabinet who no one's even heard of and having to front a strike in these times when you're just under attack as trade unionists all the time. It's clear which is the more complicated task. Well, there's no, argu there's no argument why that is, right? There's no sort of saying Labour's position or whatever is in Parliament, not on the picket lines. That, that's, that's a judgment call that you're making. Why do you, why do you think that? If, if, if the protests are as popular as they seem to be, then, you know, who's, who, where is this idea that it, it's, it looks bad? And particularly, it doesn't have to even be Starmer. It looks bad for Labour MPs to be on the picket lines. Like, and that goes back to my saying, like in the people's vote, the call was, where is Corbyn? Where is Corbyn? That was the call, yeah. you know, that, that was, uh, I, I assume organically came, came about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was definitely organic. No, no issue. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, it, it's pretty sickening stuff. I mean, it is interesting because there is that kind of dichotomy that runs through the party. There is this idea that, I mean, it's, it's in Ralph Miliband's book, Parliamentary Socialism, that the problem with the whole Labour Party is it's tied to Parliament as opposed to the extra parliamentary left. And so, but what's interesting is how, you're right, how during the Corbyn period, Polly didn't stick to her position. No. Not consistently. Whereas That's one of the most enlightening sort of things about, you know, this whole sorry saga was that you, you, you just saw the flipping of all of that, throwing away of all of the rules. Like the, the other idea being like, uh, you know, whatever the whatever the cost, whatever a Labour government is always better than Tory government. Suddenly that was even called into question. Yeah. You know, you had Labour MPs like say, well, he's so anti-Semitic that I'm going to have to vote Tory. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's just mad. Not just that, so anti-Semitic, I'm going to have to start an organisation to ensure that other people <laughs> don't vote Labour. I mean, that's <laughs> just fucked up, right? And then, but you get a, a seat in the House of Lords in, in you know, no, no, uh, that, surely that was for all the great work he did as an MP. Yeah, that, that'll be it, yeah. <laughs> Ian Austin, you know, who's beloved, beloved by the people. He's one of the, you know, if, uh, I, I think Boris Johnson just put him in to appease the, the grassroots call from all over the country that Ian Austin needs to be a lord. <laughs> <laughs> there would have been riots. Um, so let's just go to the final paragraph. Uh, Labour people want more radicalism now. For us, I like I like the us here. For us, I'm a I'm a Labour person, and I want more radicalism. Always, that's what I want. Except in the article that we just read. Oh, and, and don't forget the 1980s when I joined the Social Democratic Party that split off from Labour. Except then as well. I'm a <laughs> Labour person, even though I was, I was with the SDP. Except when that's the thing. Except when there's a possibility of it, right? That's the, when you don't want it. Uh, so for us, nothing can be enough. But Starmer's Labour is far less cautious than, nine, than in 1997 when Tony Blair and Gordon Brown welded, welded themselves to a crippling two-year fall in spending. The quintessence of life on the left is Labour losing over and over again. But, it all, but all the auguries say, <laughs> not this time. <laughs> this, I, don't, I don't even know this word. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm not even sure, but I think it's the signs. You know, the, yeah. the things that alga for the future, the algories. Yeah, I've not heard I guess. Algories, but alga I've heard. Yeah, I was like, okay. Um, I think it's nice that she says the quintessence of life on the left. Like she actually has any fucking idea what it's like to be on the left. And again, this, this claim that Starmer is less cautious than Tony Blair. There's no evidence for that, except the fact that they tie themselves to Tory spending targets. My prediction is that Labour this time will do the same. I don't see them wanting to be more radical on spending. There's no evidence they're more radical on spending. Certainly isn't any evidence in this article, as there isn't about anything, really. But yeah, well, that was fun. I enjoyed reading those. Thank you for sharing them with me. Um, <laughs> you don't have to pretend like we hadn't both read them before. <laughs> this morning. <laughs> I haven't read it. You read, yeah, you read it this morning, right? First time. This morning, the, yeah, 2017, the 2016 one. I wasn't reading the Guardian stuff at that time. No, well, I mean, I read that at the time and it's never, never left me, that article. I think about it a lot. 
uh, I don't know why. That's good. That's good writing. You know, she's had an impact. No, <laughs> that's not what's happened. <laughs> it can also bad writing can have an impact. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it is appalling. There are things written on toilet doors that I still remember, and it's sort of that sort of level. You're just like, for fuck's sake, who, who writes this? <laughs> Where Polly Toilet should be doing sat in a public toilet. This, is, this looks like the work of Polly Tomby. <laughs> so this is going to be part one of our two-part about The Guardian. So next one, we're going to focus much more on how The Guardian deals with international policy. But um, we hope that you enjoyed listening to us shit-talking about Holly Toynbee and if you did then give the video a like, add a comment, share it and um, we'll catch you next time. Yeah and also don't forget about the Patreon. I, want, I wanted to stress my t-shirt here has got holes in it. Daniel has a Patreon which means that we can collectively get a bit of money towards the equipment like the editing software um, that, that is necessary to do these kind of things. So if you've got a couple of quid a month then it would be nice if you sign up and we're going to try and think of things that we can do with the Patreon um, to maybe create a bit of a community around it because we really like talking to the people who watch these videos and having those conversations and it would be nice to maybe try and get people together and so we might do that with people who contribute to Patreon if we can get to about 30 or 40 of those. 